Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Thursday morning, the 8th of December. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reed on LMFM. Yesterday, the Social Democrats asked the government to act on a crisis that schools along the East Coast are contending with because of a shortage of teachers. This is, uh, of course, a priority area of action. Junior Minister Josepha Madigan told the Dáil that the government has taken very many actions to ensure that there are enough teachers available to meet demand. In spite of these actions that are taken, the government does accept that there remains challenges and that further action is needed. And Minister Foley has updated government in respect of a range of actions which are being progressed. Now, here's the odd bit. Ahead of yesterday's private member's motion, the government ministers held a Zoom meeting on Tuesday, what they call an incorporal cabinet meeting. A shortage of teachers wasn't on the agenda, but the Minister for Education told her colleagues she was considering ending career breaks for teachers to help deal with the shortage of teachers. The potential to suspend or amend on a temporary basis non-statutory leave arrangements which have the effect of creating demand on substitution schools is also under consideration by the department. Talk about a lead balloon. Let's hear from Gary Gannon who tabled to this motion. Well I have to be honest it was it was some stroke wasn't it? It was it was almost a stroke of monumental proportions. We, in consultation with schools in all of our communities, with parents contacting us, as I'm sure everyone around this chamber has been, brought forward a motion to deal with the shortage in the teacher supply crisis. And it is absolutely a crisis taking place in our schools. We have about 11 suggestions for how that could be alleviated to some degree. And late last night, at an incorporal meeting that wasn't on the agenda, with no minister present then to either answer today to the media or come in here for ver- valid reasons, we heard a solution that's come forth from the government. It's going to be career breaks. 
And we know that wasn't even designed to be a solution. It was designed to evade, and it was designed to dilute the narrative and to put the spotlight back on the teachers, as if somehow they're being duplicitous for having the um, audacity to take a career break to look after their families in some instances, to heaven forbid, maybe have to go off so they can afford the rent that they may, can't afford in these cities and around Ireland. It was incredible. The Social Democrats' spokesperson on education was clearly unimpressed. But it didn't end there because Gannon wanted to know what will be done to end using special education teachers as substitute teachers. The use of banked SET hours was an exceptional measure during the COVID-19 impact on schools. You know that it was an urgent measure of last resort and followed public health advice and was not intended, I'll just finish the sentence, and was not intended to be available on an ongoing basis due to the potential to impact negatively on students uh, with special educational needs. Classes, as, as you know, could be split, uh, couldn't be split then, but they can, uh, can't be split now. Josepha Madigan's response, you could say, was like a red rag to a ball. Who is she telling? Look, who is she telling? And what, more importantly, what is she doing about it? Because I appreciate that she said it's an issue, but she didn't say what the solution was, what the department is actually going to do about it. She referenced something that wasn't even contained within our motion. It is incredible. Let's speak now to the Social Democrats spokesperson on education. Gary Gannon, a very good morning to you. Thank you for joining us on the programme today. You seem frustrated, if not annoyed, about the way the government is dealing with this issue. Yeah, frustrated is an understatement, I imagine. Look, this issue has been somewhat long in the making. The teacher supply crisis in our schools has kind of been exasperated by COVID-19, but it's kind of, it's been on the horizon for a while. Teachers, we know teachers, and actually many people in our public services, but I'm a spokesperson in education, so we focused in those domains, simply can't afford to live in their cities, in their urban towns, in their, around their urban cities and other urban areas. And for many, they're having to go overseas. They're also, COVID has created a scenario where people are taking, having to take more sick leave if they're feeling unwell. I think we should encourage that. And then there's also a scenario where we're just understaffed in our schools. So mm. we are asking, we were raising this to try to put a fire under the government to do something about it. Um, I know the unions have been trying to contact the minister for the last month to talk about the teacher crisis. Uh, the teacher shortage crisis in their schools. And look, 91% of post-primary schools have experienced teacher recruitment difficulties in the last six months. Um, 61% experienced teacher retention difficulties. This is something that's happening in every school in the length of breadth of Ireland, not just on the East Coast, it's everywhere. So we're M- M- Minister later. Madigan did say recruitment wasn't the problem, didn't she? <laughs> yes, I've no idea where she's coming that recruitment is not mm. a problem because it's actually not contained within the figures. Like these surveys are carried out in skills in the last couple of months, the TUI, the, uh, the TUI carried out these surveys. So, I mean, recruitment and retention is very much a problem in skills. We don't have a shortage of teachers, mm. but we have a shortage of actually being able teachers being able to get into the classrooms and teach. Right. Um, you call it a crisis. Principals uh, have been on this program and elsewhere, of course, talking about uh, the problems they have and describing it as a, a crisis. Uh, it's a problem that needs contending with. Uh, were you surprised? You were obviously surprised uh, by the way the government responded to your motion uh, and this suggestion of clamping down on career breaks uh, and wherever that came from. Yeah. Look, I, wanted to, I was surprised by a couple of factors. Look, yesterday I was, I was responding in the moment yeah. to the minister as that was coming up. But when I was thinking about it afterwards, 
the government the cabinet had to have an incorporal meeting on Tuesday evening um, to decide what the response was to where motion was going to be. That suggested to me that this hasn't been on the cabinet table up until that point. So we brought a motion forward. You submit the motion about the week in, about a week in advance. The Department of Education were obviously scrambling to be able to give us some form of response to what they're doing to tackle this issue. And on Tuesday, the cabinet seemed to talk about it for the very first time. Yeah. I mean, that's extraordinary because I know in your program, um, it's been discussed from principals. I know around the country, it's a yeah. discussion. And it doesn't seem to be on the agenda. And then they come back with a suite of different measures in terms of um, leave. But career breaks was brought onto the fold. Yeah. Look, I know career breaks are a topic for the discussion. And for me, I think they're very valid. But even if the minister was to suspend career breaks, it wasn't like she was suspending career breaks to bring teachers back. It was to stop more teachers leaving. Mm. So that headline announcement wasn't even going to do anything to address the problems of an absence of teachers in their classrooms. Because right. if she was going to bring them back, she was in a very awkward position because I think there's 2,000 teachers. <laughs> exactly. There's about 2,000 teachers, I think, on career breaks. And of course, Norma Foley is one of those. Yeah. And look, I think that's... And I w- this kind of suggestion, I put out a tweet on Tuesday asking how many um, politicians in the doll are on career breaks. And I know there's more than Norma there as well. But we didn't want to personalise it. But I mean, that is very stark. It's the very essence of one rule for us and another rule for everybody else. And it just kind of suggested to me that in the rush to make some sort of announcements regarding the teacher shortage crisis, mm. the Minister was clutching us and forgot to actually cover our own bases. So yeah, it was extraordinary. It raised so much anger, not only amongst teachers, amongst parents themselves and I'm sure young people. But we need our classrooms filled. This we're kind of chuckling at the minute about the minister's mistake in that regard, but there's very real consequences here. Mm. For for example, a child in a school with education additional educational needs yeah. who probably doesn't have a special education teacher because they've been reallocated to mainstream classes. And, that's and that happening ha- so I'm sorry, that happens an awful lot. Your motion said 83% of schools have reported that they've done this. It might be a last resort, but they've done it. They've had no choice but to do it. Yeah, they've had absolutely no choice but to do it. So does this teacher shortage is impacting a child's fundamental right to be educated in a condition that they're able to like, receive the education and the appropriate education to their needs. So, yeah, look, there's very real consequences there. Look, and we've yeah. suggested a couple of, we've called, made a couple of calls and solutions. None of them are perfect. I'll mm. absolutely admit there's no perfect solution to this. Yeah, we heard but, you say there, there's 11 things you're suggesting. One of them is a, a task force to be established. Yeah, and I suppose, and the, one of those things, a task force, like everyone hears task force, and for me, a task force is the very worst of kind of politics in a lot of ways, but that task force will be informed by stakeholders. So, for example, having unions around the table, uh, principals, other teachers who may be able to make suggestions of where other teachers can be found. I was actually talking to a principal this morning about that, and he was mentioning the fact that some of the Ukrainian, he has two Ukrainian teachers in his school teaching. Mm. And like there's things like that where we probably have people in this country who are able to teach but don't have the qualification um, relative to Ireland because, for example, they don't speak Irish. And we can use, we can tap into that cohort. If you go into our other public services all over the country, they're staffed and manned by people who may not have been born here, but they're not limited by the fact that they don't speak Oswego. Whereas in their skills, that's a very real barrier for a lot of people to get involved and get stuck in. Also bringing people into the fold who may have qualifications and degrees in other fields and have worked in other environments who would be absolutely excellent 
teachers but just can't do that professional masters in education because it takes two years it costs 12 and a half grand and you obviously can't work while you're doing it that's a barrier to getting a, um, probably some very quality teachers into a classroom mm. Yeah, there may be objections, of course, uh, to teachers uh, from parents if those teachers uh, can't speak Irish. Yeah, look, we need Irish speakers. We need yeah, Irish. but you have constitutional issues there, do you not, uh, in terms of a child's right to education if uh, they want to be educated through Irish? You absolutely do. I mean, but not every skill is going to be an Irish skill. I mean, whereas as an Irish skill, we obviously yeah. need Gaelgars and fluent Irish speakers. Yeah. Not every skill is that. Though. So it doesn't matter? There's no... no. Con- no, I would. I mean, yeah. they're Grail school. We're Grail school. Yeah. If if a maths teacher in an English speaking school didn't speak Irish, it would have no bearing on the situation. I don't think a, a maths yeah. teacher in an English speaking school mm. should be able to communicate to the students in a language that they understand. But it's prohibited. It yeah, it wouldn't have any bearing on the situation. Right. Okay. Well, that that, that, that seems a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah, and then there's also look. I think what we can't step away from Rimwindle is the housing crisis. Yeah. So I mean, three of our suggestions did were were associated to the housing crisis. Yeah. So one of the reasons why we can't get teacher a lot of teachers into our schools is because they can't afford the rent. Particularly, obviously, for me in Dublin, rents are two thousand three hundred euro on average. It's the same around the country where rents are incredibly high. Um, so that's the reason why a lot of young teachers, in particular, who are not on permanent contracts, have no absolutely no chance in hell of getting a mortgage have had to go overseas to whether it be Doha or go out to the UK and teach because they don't get paid enough here to actually cover the cost of rent. Okay, ma'am. It's uh, an issue. Uh, How big an issue? It depends on who you're speaking to. One that the government uh, says uh, that it it is tackling a crisis uh, that has uh, been neglected uh, according to you and uh, indeed uh, many principles it would seem for that matter. But we have to leave it there for the moment and thank you for your time this morning and for joining us on the programme. Gary Gannon, Social Democrats spokesperson on education. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, safe access zones around health centres that provide abortion services were expected to be introduced in line with legislation in 2019 when the Eighth Amendment was repealed. But it continues to elude the government because of protesters' rights and the constitutional right to assemble in this country. But there was a very interesting ruling in the UK yesterday with the Supreme Court there ruling that a safe access zone bill instalment would not impact on the right to free expression as laid down in the European Convention on Human Rights, essentially saying that it was a matter for Parliament. Let's speak to Karen Shugru, who is the co-convener of Together for Safety, which is a campaign group calling for the implementation of safe access zones around family planning centres, maternity hospitals and healthcare facilities. Good morning to you, Karen, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. We're talking about different jurisdictions, uh, but what did you think of the ruling in the UK from an Irish perspective? Uh, good morning, Michael. Thanks very much for having me on. Um, well, of course, we're absolutely delighted with yesterday's ruling. Um, as you said, the, the Supreme Court of the UK found that safe access zones are, an, and in the legal language, not a disproportionate interference. And just, I, I suppose, the way it was explained to me is that that means that safe access zones are compliant with European courts of human rights. So it is a ruling that has real significance for us down here and we are absolutely delighted. 
Okay. Do you think it will change anything here? Well, this is where we're at. Um, we have um, a piece of legislation written. Um, in fact, there were two because we, our campaign wrote one piece, got it through the Shannon and into the Dáil, and then on the back of that, the Department of Health wrote their own legislation. Um, and that is now with the Health Committee. So it is now in pre-legislative scrutiny. And in September, we were promised, given a commitment by the Department of Health, that it would be in place before Christmas. Um, unfortunately, here we are two weeks before Christmas without it in place. So we're actually very, very hopeful that this ruling yesterday will will put a, a sense of urgency back into this question for us here. OK, is it necessary? Are, are safe zones required? I know that there were protests uh, when uh, the legislation was introduced initially and some of them were quite disturbing, uh, but we haven't heard much uh, of uh, that sort of thing recently. Well, um, I suppose what I would say to that is that there has been, since since um, we repealed the 8th, uh, there has never been a time when there weren't protests outside hospitals and clinics and, and health centres and GPs' offices. Um, it's happening across the country every single day. But I'll just bring it to, to local because it, it makes mm. it easier to understand. Um, what, we're just a group of women from Limerick and the reason that we started this campaign is in 2020, um, in, in the height of the lockdown, there were protesters outside the maternity hospital on a daily basis at that time. Um, we, we are all local to the maternity hospital, so we saw it. And what we were hearing back at that time from, from people is it doesn't just impact people accessing mater- abortion services. It, it impacts absolutely everybody. I was um, unfortunately getting uh, treatment for cancer at that time. And what I was hearing from the women who were also getting treatment at the same time as me is extreme distress. Now, they weren't accessing abortion services, but they had to pass those protesters and it upset them terribly. What start uh, doctors, doctors for choice, have told us and, and have publicly spoken about is how they are extremely concerned about their patients who have had um, losses and grief. And they have to walk past these very, very distressing um, feet remains pictures. So, and, and we also, of course, have people trying to go to work, people trying to operate businesses, people walking in and out of their homes. These are in residential areas. It is entirely inappropriate. Women, women who have miscarried. Women who have miscarried. Um, one woman said to us, a woman who has been through everything that, that maternity services, you know, a person going through it would experience. And she said, would they just not leave us alone? And that's the quote that really stayed with me, because I think that in, in 2018, I think that the clearest message that came from us at that time, and I know in, in Louds there was an overwhelming yes vote there, um, as there was across the country. And I think the overwhelming message was just please leave us alone and let us make these decisions with our doctors in privacy and safety and, and in respect and dignity. And that mm. is, and we're very pleased, very much upheld by yesterday's ruling and, of course, the European Courts of Human Rights. Mm. We've seen terrible things over the years. Uh, doctors yes. being shot going into clinics yes. in America and that sort of thing. The protesters here would say we're not doing anything to upset people we're not doing anything to intimidate people generally speaking protesters stand silent si- silently holding placards uh, what's the problem with that well 
I suppose, first of all, it, they don't all stand silently holding placards. Uh, there's chanting, there's very loud praying. Um, Deputy Padder Tobin of AIM2 was on the radio a couple of months back and he was talking about a situation where um, they, people are approached and offered money not to go ahead with the abortion um, that they might be planning. That's called street counselling. Those things, and, and, and with another hat on, I'm a psychotherapist and I work mm. in the space of, of trauma um, and trauma-informed practice. And I can tell you that it is extremely distressing um, to have to engage with protesters as you go past into the vulnerable space that is medical centre for whatever you're going in. Because the thing is, in Ireland, we don't have abortion clinics. What mm. we have are GPs and hospitals. So people are going in for all sorts of things. But we know that when you're going into hospital, you're not going in because you're in the very best of your health. Something has gone wrong. You're very, very vulnerable. And the very last thing you need is to engage with these protesters. Now, the legislation that is being brought in in the UK and here and indeed worldwide is not saying that people can't pray or can't protest. What it's saying is that they cannot do it right outside hospitals, GPs and health clinics. Um, and that's a very reasonable thing. And this is why we're so excited about yesterday's um, uh, um, announcement, mm. is that this request um, is, is deemed compliant with the balance of rights. So yeah. it just means that the, 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 um, the Supreme Court has assessed the balance of rights and found that yeah. a person's right yeah. to protest is not, in fact, being, being blocked. All right. Well, that's uh, one legal obstacle, if you like, uh, and a very significant ruling yeah. in the UK on the European Convention on Human Rights. I, I take it that uh, if uh, legislation uh, brings safe zones uh, into place, here that there will be a legal challenge probably decided on by the Supreme Court as to whether it is constitutional to do so and that right to assemble that people have. Absolutely and and the thing is um, this is a democracy and these things have to be decided democratically and we have to bring in legal instruments that are robust enough to withstand challenge. So those things are absolutely as it should be. And I think one thing that's very important, when we started this campaign, the very first thing we did was we got in touch with the unions and the unions have been involved from the get-go with the writing of the legislation. Mm. And they are very, very clear that on the one hand, their right to protest, and we're all activists, you know, we, we live to protest. So we're never going to touch, the, you know, the, the right to protest. But we are very clear also that activists and the unions and and are, need to have um, a, a clear space around these health centres where none of us, Neither, neither side of this um, can speak or, or, or protest about abortion. So it's a, it's a ruling that will affect everybody. Mm. Would it include pharmacies? There is debate about that, mm. um, and I think it's the, there is a whole suite of things that are mm. currently being well, ironed with, out by the health committee. With very good reason, because uh, people will say, "Don't protest outside of a hospital. Don't mm. be praying outside of a GP's office mm. or writing graffiti on the wall." Uh, but people will say, uh, "Well, if you go down this road, there could be unintended consequences uh, because uh, if you introduce these buffer zones, uh, it may become impossible to protest about housing." Uh, outside Leinster House because no. because you're close to a pharmacy that provides no. abortion tablets. 
And I think that this is something and it's a great point to bring up because it's something that people are worried about. And this is why the unions were involved from the get go. And also why the, 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 there is a cross party um, support for this. And I can promise you that the parties on the left wouldn't allow anything go through that didn't allow us to protest about housing. So you can imagine that there is a lot of people with different agendas looking at this legislation to make sure. So what we are saying or what this legislation will say very, very clearly is it is specifically and only about abortion. It is, you know, you can you can protest housing outside uh, pharmacy. All of that is very, very clearly legislated for. So it's, it's, it's an added layer of comfort for people who would be worried that the right to protest is being impacted. It's, it's, not, it's only a very limited situation in which it is impacted. And really, we would say um, there is no need to protest um, abortion outside a pharmacist or directly outside a hospital or a GP or a family planning clinic. There is no need. Um, and, and we would feel very, very strongly that people need to be able to go into medical centres and medical situations unharassed by those those things. Okay. Um uh, abortion uh, isn't actually available in Northern Ireland yet, is it? Um, now, I'm not 100% I, sure. Yeah, where, where I, I think they're very close to it and it's to do with so. the impasse in Stormont and yeah. that and they're on the yeah. brink of introducing abortion services. But, but before they get to that point, mm. uh, they've dealt with this legislation. Here we are, are now, what, close to four years on? Three years on, certainly, uh, since right. uh, the repeal of the 8th. It really is a, a very slow piece of work, isn't it? It's. Ter- I, I feel. I feel very disappointed because actually, it's nearly five years since we voted in 2018 to repeal. Um, it'll be four years in January since abortion legislation was brought in. And if you think of the timeline, so we voted in May 2018 to get that piece of, uh, to, to repeal the eighth, and six months later we had a piece of legislation written and operating. Um, but here to bring in abortion services but here we are nearly five years later we still don't have um, safe access zones even though we have two bills written by two different sets of barristers and legal experts so there is a very, very disappointing lack of urgency and I think if anybody is listening today and they're wondering what they can do if you would please get on to um, Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly and also your local TDs and ask them to make representations to the Minister for Health about this and to, to put a sense of urgency because we are hearing every single day from all corners of the country that um, protests are still distressing people at their most okay. vulnerable. Can I just ask you one last question, Karen? Now, is there a, another potential unintended consequence of this uh, that you would encourage people to break this law so that they beco- could become martyrs uh, and it could lead to a surge in um, those campaigns uh, and uh, as a tool, let's say, for bolstering uh, pro-life ideas? I, it, it, it's, it's impossible to say. Of course, we can only look to precedents set in other countries and we haven't seen anything like that. But I would say as well, again, for, for your listeners who might be worried, there is precedent in Ireland for safe zones. And they are the zones around polling stations on polling day where you cannot mm. go and you can't... Um, uh, uh, 
advocate for mm. for parties or so Ca- and those canvas, have been in operation yeah. mm. canvas thank you and those have been in operation since 1992 um, in general and the Gardaí Síochána have said this repeatedly Irish people tend to be very law abiding and there has been no problem in implementing those safe zones since 1992 and internationally we're not seeing anything of the type that you are of the type of, of excessive behaviour that you're speaking about okay. as a result of the zones so we'd be very very mm-hmm. hopeful Okay. It really it would be a respectful thing. All right, Karen, thank you indeed for taking My the time pleasure. to speak Thanks to us uh, this morning. On. That's uh, Karen Shugru, who's co convener of uh, the group Together for Safety. Michael Reed on LMFM. Peter has been in touch. Peter is often in touch and he <clears throat> seems to uh, take a, a particularly strange view on issues, a strange view that we've been seeing, uh, particularly since uh, the introduction of vaccines and COVID and that sort of thing and uh, sort of uh, in line with a lot of other odd viewpoints, uh, if you don't mind me saying, Peter. I think uh, the majority of people would view it that way. Um, but anyway, Peter is talking about uh, the last conversation and he's saying, why is there only one person on it? Uh, somebody who is anti-human life, as he puts it, uh, an atheist, as he puts it. He says, there's two sides to every issue, Michael. Uh, why is this the case and why don't you uh, have democratic debate? There's only one law in the country, Peter. <laughs> There's only one law in the country. And uh, the people going into the hospitals and to the clinics and so on are not doing anything wrong. Um, uh, and uh, that's what we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about people intimidating other people uh, who are not doing anything wrong. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, you might have seen, actually, Peter, uh, all of uh, the verdicts about people complaining about coverage on the radio from anti-vaxxers that were just turned down because uh, the anti-vaxxers were told, no, there is COVID and vaccines are good for you. Uh, It's a little bit like uh, the BAI, the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, who were in front of uh, the media committee in uh, the Oireachtas last week and uh, they were being asked about climate change and climate change deniers. And that radio stations and the like don't have to give any time to climate change deniers because climate change is a fact. So it's not democratic to be giving... Uh, and their uh, time to people who are talking absolute and utter nonsense. Uh, I suppose it's a bit like uh, the fascists who are going around complaining about refugees. <laughs> it just doesn't work anymore. Forget about it. Go back on the internet, back onto TikTok and uh, all these other places uh, that uh, people who have the same opinion, that very, very small minority, Point zero 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 one percent of the population have go back on TikTok and talk to them. Uh, we'd uh, Maggie in touch with us. Uh, she says, Michael, leaving COVID out of it from first year to third year, my child had no home economics teacher. How in the name of God can a child do five years work between fifth year and sixth year? The pressure was unreal and the teacher absenteeism is unreal since September. Once again, the only loser are the children. Some comments on the hospital that I didn't get to yesterday, or the hospitals, more to the point, uh, because there's this issue now that's uh, really impacting in Drogheda as well as Navan. Uh, somebody said the emergency medicine consultants made a statement in February that the estimate they estimate 600, 360, 360 excess deaths per year due to long wait times 
uh, of more than five hours in emergency departments across the country uh, and that might be an underestimate. Carmel MacDonald was in touch in relation to the hospital. She says Minister Donnelly should be inspired that a positive outcome is possible for Navin and Drogheda following his visit last week to Port Leash where he announced £14 million in funding. The hospital there is now considered to be one of the best in the country. It was threatened with closure in 2017. The threat of closure impacts the ability to attract staff. Drogheda and Navin both need to be fully resourced to provide safety and capacity in the region. Margaret was in touch and she says, Who do we sue when a member of our family passes away as a result of this tobacco brought upon patients and mead by the government and the HSE. Is it the hospital, the government or the HSE or all three of them? Because there will be deaths in this region and it won't be the patient's fault, says Margaret. Thank you if you've been in touch. If you'd like to make comment, our telephone number is 041 Text or WhatsApp 086 1800 658 or email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as you've been hearing, Met Aaron has issued a status yellow weather warning that's in place until midday. Uh, a second warning comes into place from 10 o'clock this evening, and uh, that warns of hazardous conditions, uh, sharp to severe frost with icy surfaces as temperatures are to fall to minus four degrees Celsius widely. Uh, they warn uh, of a sharp to severe frost with icy surfaces tomorrow morning, I'm sure. Uh, so do take care if you're on the roads uh, because of uh, those very low temperatures. Minus four will not be unusual tonight. Uh, they're expecting in the next few days that temperatures will go to minus five or minus six. It's very cold, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. uh, Not only that, uh, but... Charlie Weston is reporting in uh, the Irish Independent today what this uh, will result in. Uh, the bonkers.ie group have been telling him that it could result in the cost of heating a typical home shooting up by around 240% to €120 to cover the cost of just one week of this very cold weather. What do you do about it all? Well, I think uh, the advice from the government to you is to reduce your use to save on those bills and at the same time stay warm. How do you do that? Well, you're going to get a a new information leaflet explaining exactly how to do that. Uh, The government is to send this on to every household in the country and they're doing it with the advice of an expert in energy systems engineering at Queen's University Belfast. That's Professor Aoife Foley who's on the line with us. And a very good morning to you Aoife and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. It's very cold. It's been a while since it's been as cold uh, as uh, this uh, but I suppose a lot of us are are used to weather of uh, this sort uh, but as we heard there a second ago it can be very expensive uh, because of uh, the increase in energy costs. What are you advising people this winter? Um, I'm advising them. First of all, um, the the booklet is going to be dropped to their home. And if you read it, there's about 13 points of how you can reduce your energy consumption. And if you reduce your energy consumption, you automatically reduce your energy bill. I suppose to put it in context, most people wouldn't would would well know now at this stage their their Apple bill or their Spotify bill or their mobile phone bill on a monthly basis. They can sort of give you the idea of their Sky package. But but when it comes to electricity people actually are, are not as well informed 
And um, I suppose with, with what's happened now with the increase in gas prices over the last number of months, they went from about 30-odd P, 40p a term, and I'm using pence now because we buy our gas on the spot market over in the UK, mm. up to 700 pence there at some of the peaks um, over the last few months now. Obviously, that's levelled off. But actually, globally, then what's happened is because Europe was filling up its energy storage facilities, that pushed up the price globally. And that's what's filtering through to the market. And I suppose the retail and the wholesale prices, they're sometimes out of sync because of the way the, the contractual arrangements are between the retail suppliers and the wholesale um, market. So we put that in context. Mm. And as well as that, just so people know, your wholesale price is about 60% of your retail price. Mm. Yeah? Mm. So if we look at an, an average Irish family, um, you know, in a three-bed semi-detached with two kids and two adults, you know, your bill could be throughout the year now with the new prices, anything up to 2,200, 2,400 euros, your electricity bill alone. You put your heating on on top of that. That's about 5,000 kilowatt hours of consumption annually. Your bill over the winter would be up to 30% more expensive. So what's more expensive? So now what you need to do is to keep your bills low is go around and do a few simple checks in your home. Are you using the eco modes in your appliances? What's that? so that's basically the mode that uses the lowest energy. So if you're using, if you're producing less heat and you're using less energy, you reduce your bill. Mm. So that's your eco mode. Mm. So check your dishwasher. Um, try to avoid using your tumble dryer. They're very expensive. Tumble dryers are expensive to run. Mm. And um, what I say to everybody then when it comes to, you know, you, that's about a euro an hour. It can be anything up to a euro mm. an hour. 85 to well, a euro tum- an hour. Tum- tumble dryers eat up electricity, I know that. They do. So if you could hang anything mm. out of the line or if you have a shed or a garage, you can put a clothes horse in it. Clothes horse, yeah. Mm. Even if it's cold and it's sunny during the day and there might be a little bit of a breeze, it's good to have the clothes on the line. Mm. You could always run an extra rinse in yeah. your washing machine to, to, to get the water out. Check the thermostats on your central heating. Have it, what, what have you set them at? 17 to 19 is comfortable. Now, I've seen some people say 21 for elderly people. 19 degrees is very, very comfortable for most people. Right. Um, but if you must remember now, in Budget 23... The- Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. Government, they brought out a whole series of targeted measures for vulnerable users and they've, mm. they've changed. And as well as that, people are getting the credit. Yeah. So the government is putting in another credit next year. So they're all the things you need to keep. Yeah, and a, a, a jumper and a blanket can be very cosy too. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And you know what? It's coming up to Christmas now. And just think about, instead of buying people things that they may or may not need, bits of plastic, mm. you know, buy them an aerated kettle, okay? okay. Buy them a more energy efficient toaster. Don't fill up your kettle when you're making one cup of tea if you're an elderly person at home or if you're a lady at home or a man at home who could be minding the children if they haven't gone to school yet. Mm. What you do is just boil enough water for one or two cups. Don't right. be... Just try and keep it to a minimum. Um, mm. Check your radiators, service your service your boiler. Um, your, your hot that that can end up costing a fortune, can't it, if it's not efficient? Well, it can, it can. Yeah. And actually, mm. for every degree you reduce your temperature, you save about 10% in your heating. Mm. But what you could do as well is switch off radiators you don't need. Mm. Or check, as you say, that they're working as well, because sometimes yeah. they need to be bled. There's air yeah, in them yeah. and they're, they're not heating up fully, but they're probably using up as much oil or gas or whatever it is. One of those little um, bleeders, okay, mm. so there's mm. a lot of bleeder kit, mm. costs you four ninety nine in the co-op or in Woody's or one mm. of those building provider um, people, um, you know, Four ninety nine. Switch on your heat and go around. If there's a cold spot, just bleed it. You you'll hear the air hissing out, mm. and a little bit of water will come out after. It'll be blackish water. Don't be worried about that. Mm. But just put a towel on the floor if you'd want to dirty your carpets or anything mm. where you bleed it, and close it straight away. It means that the the air has come out <laughs> when it starts. <laughs> don't, the water don't screw it completely off either. If you're not sure about that, maybe we're checking with somebody no, as well. Oh, I know it is, but if if the if the screw comes off, you get a fright, and it's very hard to get it back in. But mm. what you do mm. is just don't do it too hard. Be nice yeah. and gentle. Mm. Just once you hear the air, that's what, once you, you hear, hear the air, air that's, that's all you do. It. Yeah. You'll yeah. hear it like it's like air out of a tire. You just hear it. Going I know, mm. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to say to people as well, you know, don't worry about leaving your lighting on. Okay, mm. um, if you have new modern light bulbs, energy efficient light bulbs, for example, LED. That's nine cents for seven hours. Right, yeah. You know? Mm. Um, any sort of modern new um, standby equipment, they tend to be more energy efficient. Older appliances, they tend to be less energy efficient. So switch them off at night. Yeah. Um, you know, um, your, your, if you have an air fryer, that's handy for people. I know now not everybody has those yeah. sorts of things. But if you have a microwave and you have a plastic little container and you want to heat up some soup, Use the microwave, it's cheaper mm. and it's more energy efficient. Turning on your standard conventional hob, um, you're heating up the element and you're losing the, the heat and it's, it's more expensive. Mm. Um, you know, if you're putting on your oven and rather think of it this way now, some people, what they do is, like I mean, my mom now and what I would do typically, I, I have a steamer and I boil my vegetables, you know, I put my vegetables into the steamer and I add the carrots in the bottom one. But what I thought recently now when I was doing a, um, a, a, a chicken in the oven, I'd stick the vegetables in, in a roasting tray. Mm. So everything is done at the same time and you're using the same yeah. amount of energy. Well, I'd put a chicken and a ham and, yeah. uh, a, I don't know, a, a joint of beef or something in all at the same time. Yeah, uh, and right. and the vegetables and anything else that's going. Um, and uh, go back to the uh, dishwasher, would you? Because... Um, I'm always confused about that. I, I, I have a dishwasher with a, an eco um, mm-hmm. option on it. That takes about three and a half hours. How is that cheaper than the short washers? It's, it's, at a t- it's a lower temperature one, but what it is, oh. you need to check your manual, okay? Yeah. 
because you may have another mode in your one. How old is your is your dishwasher? Yeah, it's only a year or two. I can't remember, but oh, it's yeah, not, you, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's using a, it's using a, a lower temperature. Mm. Um, but watch it. You need to check the settings. Okay, that's what I'm going to ask you to do, and I'm going to ask you to have a look as well at your little booklet. Yeah, it's very very important. And if you've lost your booklet, what you do is go onto your phone mm. and do a Google and type in the ma- the make and the model. Right. I haven't got the booklet yet. Uh, they haven't come out yet, have they? Um, the booklet, uh, they have um, a few oh. people. Now, my mum down in Cork, she said she got it all, all right. okay. And a few other friends of mine did. So we'll be getting it in the next couple of days. We'll uh, be getting it in the next couple of days. Yeah. And if you can't get it on, if you, can't, if, that, if you don't get it in the post, now you should get it in the post, mm. you can go online and find it, you know? Mm. Now, I just want to sort of say to people as well, you know, yeah. um, don't be cold over the next few days. But what you could do is put draft, you know, if you... You know, the old snakes. And if you don't have a mm. snake, what you could do is get an old tight. And I know now I sound like make and do with Mary from Bosco <laughs> long ago. But what you could do is just put a few old socks into a tight and there you are with yeah. your drastic scooter. You some know, sticky you back plas- or sellotape, yeah. Exactly, like long ago we used to make in yeah. primary school, yeah. you remember? <laughs> Blue um, Peter, yeah. Exactly, mm, exactly. Mm, and mm. another thing you could do as well, you know, is um, put a, a reflector jacket um, around your, or put um, an insulator jacket around your water tank. Mm. They're about twenty euros, and they yeah. save you a lot of energy. If you're not if you're not using your fire, block the chimney. Exactly. No, I know another thing. Oh yeah, block the chimney. Put a bit of wood. What you can do is um, scrunch up a bit of newspaper. That's what mm. my dad trained me to do when I was small, and yeah. stick it up the the chimney. Now, I, I, just last just last I did that. Put a couple of old pillows up the chimney. Another thing that's good. But remember, guys. Okay. Don't light the fire. <laughs> don't light the fire and remove them if you plan on lighting yeah. the fire. You no, know? just don't. If you're not, don't do that. If you use the fire, if you no, don't, if you don't, 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 don't use the fire, block the chimney. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Just be safe. And if you have a crack in your window and you can't afford to replace it, do you know what you do? Get a bit of sellotape and put it over. It. Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just, just you know, put on, and if somebody mm. older people, younger people now, you know, buy somebody an old thermal vest as mm. a gift. There's some very nice thermal vests. They're not like you know you yeah. see. Is it no. worth it? I, I, I mean, and it's one thing listening now, and it's, they're all great tips. Uh, uh, and I'm sure everybody's going right. I'll do that if I remember it. But okay, I'm getting the booklet. I'll go through it. It'll take a while to go through all that. How much will the, all of this end up saving you? It could save you up to about maybe seven, eight hundred euros just oh. if you were using, yeah, right, yeah, okay. a lot of money. Yeah, Another yeah. thing I want to say to people is, you know, go on online if you have access to online. Mm. And if you have an elderly family member, you know, look at their, what, what rates and charges they are on and see, you know, is it, could they switch? Yeah. They might get a better deal from another supplier. Um, what way do you pay your bill? Check all of those things out. Um, you know, as well as that, you know, shopping now at the moment, fuel prices, they're higher still, you know. Mm-hmm. And rather than going out three or four trips to do a lot of shopping during the week, see if you can buy a few things in the one go. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And another thing now as well. I saw petrol for 160 yesterday, which is yeah. really cheap compared to yeah, what it was no, six what months it was. ago. Yeah, 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 I know yeah, it's yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. do you know what now? You know, that's only... If you look at the way the world is going and you look at what's happening... Energy prices, they're, they're going to go up and down like a feather in a stone, and that's the way they work. Mm. What you need to do is you need to sort of plan ahead and realise that energy prices are on the way up. Okay, well, there are great tips, and I'm sure there's more in the booklet. If you haven't got it yet, you'll be getting it in the next couple of days. The government is uh, making sure uh, that every household in the country gets the Reduce Your Use Stay Warm and Well booklet. 
Uh, and thank you for telling us a, a little bit about the contents uh, and ways of saving saving seven to eight hundred euro, which is a significant amount of money for anybody, I think, uh, and for joining us uh, this morning as well, Aoife. Thank you indeed. Uh, Professor Aoife Foley is an expert in energy systems engineering at Queen's University, Belfast. Michael Reed on LMFM. Here's an interesting suggestion about your chimney. Thanks, Irene, for the WhatsApp message. She says it's a a great tip. It would seem to be a great tip. Get a children's umbrella. It'll cost you about four euro. Put it inside the fire, flick it open, and it works wonders for blocking the downdraft. Easily removed and doesn't cost a fortune. Certainly does seem a a good idea after the uh, flu uh, blocker, uh, uh, the chimney flu blocker that I spent money on and tried to put up the chimney and was useless and then ended up putting the pillow up at last night. Uh, the best piece of uh, advice I've gotten in a long time comes from John in Drogheda about that. He says, stick a note in the fireplace uh, that you have the chimney blocked uh, for, you know, the big fella. I think the big fella knows uh, that uh, it's there. He knows how to get past all of those obstacles. Uh, Margaret says, when you see nursing homes looking for more support, it's very hard to get staff. But when you see the government means testing carers allowance for those looking after their loved ones at home, it's a joke. We're all getting older and hope we don't need support in our old age. Deirdre wonders if uh, the President, Michael D. Higgins, could have a, a chat with Stephen Donnelly uh, about uh, the emergency department in Navin and convince the minister to keep it open. We'll talk about a couple of uh, those topics now with independent TD Peter Fitzpatrick, who's on the line. And a very good morning to you, Peter, and thanks for joining us. Uh, maybe we, we could talk about ageing to begin with because you're the co-chair of the All-Party Rockta's Life and Dignity Group and you had Professor Deza O'Neill, an eminent geriatrician in front of you this week uh, and he spoke about caring for us as we age, what he calls a proactive approach on nursing homes. What did you learn from that meeting? details there. Uh, he was just saying that basically the, uh, that, the, that, the, that, the, that the public nursing homes are basically being wiped out of something. Peter, I'm losing you there. I, I, I'm not sure if you're speaking in directly into the phone. Hello? Michael, can you hear me better, yeah, Michael? I, I can hear you perfectly now, yes, yeah, that's great. I just Michael. Okay, thank you. Yeah, Michael, when he basically spoke about Michael, he was on about uh, the situation with public and private nursing homes. Mm. And you go back to 1980, he was saying that 60% of nursing homes were in public as compared uh, to uh, 40% in private. And that, that, that in the, in, up until I was 2017, it's been a complete reverse role. And basically about 70 or 80% of nursing homes basically at the moment now are, are, are privately owned and 20% public. And he, he thinks that's very, very alarming. Because in my constituency offices, when people come in looking for places in nursing homes, they all want to go to the scene to go to the to the to the, to the public nursing homes. For example, if you look at the dog there at the moment, you've got St Oliver's nursing home there at the moment, and that's run by the HSE, and you've got nurses and you've got doctors in it, and people, the older people seem to think that uh, that you get better looked after that there, and everybody seems to wants wants to go there, as compared to when you go to. Uh, uh, private nursing home. He was talking about that the, the wages and the conditions wouldn't be wouldn't be the same as, uh, and he thought that was that was very inappropriate. And he was also speaking about people living a lot longer. Like the average age of a person living nowadays is eighty two years of age. Mm. And like you know, and I think he's also talking about people. The big fear people have is people don't want to go into nursing homes. No, mm. you know, like mm. like I, I'm coming on like I'm sixty years of age now at the moment myself, and I be always saying to my kids, please don't pop me in a nursing home. 
But when you think about it at the moment, is uh, he was talking about that we should all sit down and have a look and said, what kind of a nursing home do we want to, to want to have going forward? Mm. Instead, instead of saying you don't want to go into a nursing home, it's get the fear factor out of people. Because people do need in, in, in the, in the, in the mm. uh, nursing homes. Good news on that note today as well with uh, this new uh, unit, 50 bed unit, uh, work beginning on that before Christmas in RD. That's fantastic. I mean, Isn't Michael, it? That's been mm. off for an awful long, long time, Michael. Yeah. And it, it's fantastic news for the people in the Midlight area. It, it's, it's, it's fantastic because people in the area are going to the dark or draw or anything else at the moment. Now the people in the area. Because when you're in a nursing home, uh, most of the people not home be staring, knocking the door, hoping for loved ones and not to visit them and such. I mean, like yeah. it's great to have. And in fairness, like, like the the the, 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 the St. Joseph's in 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 all these fantastic facilities at the moment. It's, and as, as I said, like it, people in the area, I think that's great, great news for everybody. It's a win-win for everybody. Okay, uh, I wanted to ask you uh, about uh, this new protocol, uh, which directs initially on the hospital in Navan because ambulances uh, with critically ill patients uh, from Monday of next week are to bypass our ladies and drive on to Drogheda where the consultants are very concerned about the consequences of this. They say it's unsafe and patients may die. What do you make of that? Well, Michael, you know yourself, back in 2010, a similar thing happened in the Lyle County Hospital. We lost our acute medical and surgical services, and it's, it's not a nice thing to happen. Uh, I spoke to Stephen Donnelly, uh, Minister, and he also uh, contacted the Department of Health. And if, if you actually go on onto the HSE website, and basically what they're saying in, 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 in the website is that uh, the, the, lady, the, 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 the Lilge Hospital is the main hospital in the area, it's supported by an MIU in the Lyle County Hospital and it's also supported by uh, uh, an emergency department in, uh, in Navin. So basically what the, what the trainer says, like uh, the main services are in, 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 in the Lourdes. Over the last number of years, a lot of money has been spent in the Lourdes Hospital and the Lourdes Hospital at, at presently is probably one of the best hospitals in the country for, for waiting lists and for trolley situations at the moment. And... I always said to Michael, your health is definitely your wealth of life. Like, like the bottom line is, the patient, like, God forgive me, if my, if my loved ones got sick and an ambulance came to my front door and they, they told me that uh, you have to go to a certain hospital to get looked after, Michael, I would have no problem whatsoever. Mm. And for the last number of years, I have seen ambulance driving past the Lake County Hospital and it's not nice. Mm. They've talked heart attacks, they've talked strokes and everything else, and the only hospital they can really go to, Michael, is to the Leeds Hospital. Does it and worry you, though, that the consultant doctors say it's unsafe and could result in unnecessary deaths? And that last weekend, there were these 11 ambulances parked up outside the emergency department of the Lourdes. Some of the patients in the ambulances were outside for five hours. And this protocol has yet to come into play, which will see even more ambulances arrive. Michael, what happened last weekend, we had we, 11 ambulances held up in the Lourdes Hospital for five hours. So basically, if there had been an, uh, uh, an emergency looking for an ambulance in, in, in another area, it wouldn't, it's an absolute disgrace. And I do agree with you, Michael, is that these, these 17 consultants that wrote these letters, like I'm sure that it's heavy heart that they had, they had to do something. And, and, and there is a serious situation at the moment. Is, and the situation at the moment is, uh, this has to be sorted out. Like when, I spoke, when I spoke to the department during the week, they told me that, that they've, they've, they've spoken to the consultants again this week. I haven't heard anything back, Michael, what's happened they, at the moment. They met with the consultants on Monday, but the doll has been told in no uncertain manner since then. Uh, there was statements by two ministers in, in the doll on Tuesday that this protocol is being implemented from Monday. See, when you look at it, Michael, at the moment, is there is a protocol based in Navin at the moment. 
So basically, if you're in Navan, if you're in the Navan area, Savannah so areas, and, mm. and you do, you, you, you suffer a stroke or a heart attack or a major uh, yeah. drama, or, like you automatically bypass uh, Navan Hospital and yeah. you go to the nearest hospital, and the nearest hospital there at the moment would be the Lewis Hospital. Mm. I think that probably only came into play as March, uh, again, as another step towards all of this, but, but, but I'm not disputing what you're saying. That protocol is, is there. Uh, it doesn't take away from the issue, though, that the doctors in Drogheda are saying, don't bring these patients to us, we can't cope, we're 16 doctors short, and this could result in somebody dying. Well, Michael, let's put it this way. The HSC has got himself in a very, very serious situation at the moment. Is. Uh, we all, l- listen to my reports, it is unsafe for people who get heart attacks or strokes to go to Navin. And what they're trying to do is they're taking them to another hospital, a, 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 a major hospital in the area, that is being overcrowded at the moment, is and it proved it there last weekend in the moment. Mm. Uh, like the, 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 what, what they're trying to basically say is that uh, uh, that, 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 the, that the national ambulance service team will be will, will, will be in the area, will assess the patient, and will, will transfer transfer them to the appropriate hospital depending on the on the clinical okay. condition. Mm. But I'm just trying to say, Michael, is, I, I, and I keep putting myself in the situation is. Like we need, we need to invest in the, the Navan Hospital. Mm. Uh, I think it'd be, I think it'd be a very foolish situation for the HSE Department of, of, of Health or the Minister to, to downsize uh, Navan at the moment. Simple situation is, like you don't rob Peter to pay Paul. Uh, if it's not safe, sit down, and if it needs to invest more money to get more consultants, more clinical people in there, let's let's do that in a moment. Okay, well, money, money, money to this government at the moment doesn't seem to be a problem. Well, there's an awful lot of concern about this. The doctors in Navan are concerned. The doctors in Drogheda are concerned, albeit for different reasons. People in Navan uh, and uh, people who would use the hospital in Navan are concerned and likewise in Drogheda. Uh, there will be protests it seems in Navan and in Drogheda on Monday when this protocol comes into effect and there could quite possibly be protests in Dublin. Uh, will you stand alongside the protesters? Michael, Michael, Michael I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm 500% behind uh, uh, these, these consultants, these soldiers, and everything else. There is a serious problem there at the moment, Michael. Is. And, and like, I'm not trying to stand up for Minister Donnelly at the moment, is, but I do believe that if, if only for the intervenes of the Minister, uh, the, 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 the downgrade of what is happening there at the moment is, and I do agree that a lot of a lot of pressure from the people in, in the surrounding areas, also from the politicians, that's forcing the HSE to 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 to, to reevaluate the situation. Is we have is it working, or is, is it working, or are they just wasting their time delaying the inevitable? Because uh, there was a lot of protest and a lot of pressure from people in Dundalk. There was a huge protest that people will remember. 10,000 people protesting in Dundalk about the downgrading of the Louth County Hospital. But that reconfiguration, if you like, went ahead. Well, as I said to you, Michael, this happened in 2010, and the people in Dundalk, we still believe that we should have our, our emergency department, we, we maintain we should have our acute services, we should have our medical... We, like, we, we lost a lot in 2010. And I said to you, it's not nice when you see living in Dundalk and you see the ambulance bypassing the, the, the right hospital. But, Michael, I have to say it again, Michael, it's the most important thing here is the health and safety of the patients. As I said to you, and I, I don't mean to repeat myself again, Michael, it's if, if, if a member of your family or someone gets seriously, seriously sick, you want to make sure, and time is at essence here at the moment, is that you don't want to be wasting time going to a hospital that's not able to look after your loved ones. But listen, what I said is, it's, it's, it's important that Minister Donnelly and the department sit down. And it, 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 don't, get me, don't get me wrong, I don't have a problem, and I will support uh, any protest. But the, the situation at the moment is, we have a problem with the capacity at the moment. Is, uh, if you look at the little hospital at the moment, the, the government has invested a lot, a lot of money 
Like there's 211 million we spent this year in the Lewis Hospital. It's mm. up massively. There's 2,500 uh, people employed full-time there at the moment. Is, uh, but there is a shortage of 16 medical uh, experts there at the moment. Is, Lead doctors, uh, yeah. Mm. The, 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 the problem we have at the moment is, uh, and I will push, and I'm sure the other TDs and centres in the area will push, is I think Minister Donnelly's going to have to stay and down now because the people, there's a, there's a fear factor there at the moment. Is people are worrying, and, and there's a lot of stories going on, whether they're right or wrong. Is People want to know, is is it safe to go to the Navin Hospital? What the HSE are saying, it's safe to go. with, with, with uh, But if you have any serious mm. issues, mm. it's not safe to go. Okay. So they're putting, they're putting the wrong singles out there at the moment. It's, people are worrying about it. And, people are, and the amount of phone calls I'm getting from people from me, please support them. I'm there, and I, from day one, I, I, I want to support the Navin Hospital. But what's going to happen here, Michael, is I can see the same situation happen, what happened in Dock, it's what mm. happened in Navin. Is what they're going to do at the moment is they're going to have three hospitals. You're going to have Navin, and Dock, and Drawder working together, and you're going to have Drawder, uh, the main hospital. And uh, it all depends what kind, what kind, of, what, what they're going to, what they're going to do with Navin. Are they going to downgrade Navin? But I think, I, I personally think the catchment area in Navin is a massive area. Mm. I think you're talking maybe population increase maybe 20 or 30 percent the last number of years. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think I think I think it'd be a wrong decision by the HSE, but we all have to turn and work for the best of the people okay. in 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 the draw the north okay. east um, area. Uh, we'll come back to it. Uh, I'm sure I was kind of wondering uh, why the captain were talking about uh, new surge, uh, new elective hospitals in Cork uh, ahead of one that's been on the back burner for. How long is it? 13, 15 years yeah. at the regional hospital, uh, which was meant to be located in Avon. Peter, I have to leave it there oh, for Michael, the moment. Michael, just one more yeah, thing, Mike. Very quickly, uh, please. Uh, Mike, I was in your programme for the last number of weeks. I was talking about a man called John Evans. Oh, yes. Uh, Michael, I just want to give you an update situation on the John yeah. Evans, because I'm going to be honest with you, since it was on your programme, I get a, I get a lot of people in, in the area and they want to not get John. Yeah. The situation with John was uh, the minister intervened. John got his appointment in the Bowman Hospital on Tuesday, the 29th of November. He went up at a quarter past eight. He got a taxi from the dog at a quarter past eight. He got there in the hospital at a quarter past eight. Good. He had to sit in the waiting room on the Tuesday from a quarter past eight until five o'clock that evening. See, he was pained. Eventually, when then you see the doctor, the doctor wasn't there. They waited one hour more. When the doctor came in to see John, John was in serious pain. And John has been in the hospital ever since. Uh, the situation George, uh, uh, John is also contacted the COVID virus at the moment and, uh, uh, and uh, well, it's a very very serious and, and the family are really really are concerned but hopefully uh, they're going to keep him in the, they've given a commitment to the family that they'll keep John as long as he can and whatever needs to be done with John will be done before John goes home and the family are hoping to have John home before Christmas but the bottom line Michael is and the family says John is in a better place with own. he's been looked after by the right people Okay. Best wishes to John. If you'd pass them on to John and to Sandra as well, please, Peter. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. That's uh, Independent TD, Peter Fitzpatrick. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, uh, you may think that there's a, a lot of people speak seeking refuge in uh, this country, uh, and there are. There's an awful lot of refugees and asylum seekers in Ireland at the moment, but don't expect that to change anytime soon. If at all, the numbers will vary from year to year, but this is not a temporary issue. That's according to Dr. Catherine Day, who's uh, the chair of the advisory group on direct provisions. She was speaking. 
to a conference uh, that was organised by the Children's Rights Alliance yesterday on the implementation of the White Paper on Direct Provision. This is in line with uh, the programme for government and the promise to end the system of direct provision. Let's speak now uh, to Julie Ahern, who's uh, the Director of Legal Policy and Services with the Children's Rights Alliance. And a very good morning to you, Julie, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, I take it since the White Paper was published, there's more people in direct provision and less chance of them getting out of it. Michael. Indeed, since the White Paper was published, there are more people in direct provision. And as you mentioned, you know, from Catherine Day yesterday, you know, that number isn't going to let up anytime soon. And the government had a very ambitious plan to end direct provision with a lot of really good, solid commitments about how to make people's lives better while they go through the process and then integrate them into our communities and into our society. But there is a challenge there and there's no getting around that. And um, We do have more numbers and what we need to do now is we need to think of, of, we need government to come up with an implementation plan that takes account of this new reality to ensure that we can best support the people in direct provision in a sustainable way. Okay, uh, and you're asking the government uh, to establish two teams, effectively two ministers who'd have responsibility for people seeking asylum in this country or seeking refuge in this country. Yeah, no, not necessarily two ministers, but two teams within government, because we know that there is a good, hard-working, dedicated group of civil servants working on this within the Department of Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth. But there are two issues at play at the moment. There's the existing circumstances that are actually really quite bad for people. You know, we're hearing reports of pregnant people having to sleep on mattresses, children not being registered in schools, and situations where families feel that they can't keep their children safe because of the overcrowded situations they're living in. So that's one area that we need someone to work on and to be working on. But then we can't lose sight of the bigger picture, which is the commitment to end direct provision as we know it. So that would be to think of the long-term planning, because as you mentioned at the start, that we are going to be faced with large numbers coming into the country. So we need to be forward planning and thinking about the best way to bring these people into our society so that we can look after them, integrate them and ensure that they have the facilities that they need. Okay, in a, a modern day wealthy Western country uh, that we live in, uh, it is uh, somewhat disturbing to think uh, that there's children because the Children's Rights Alliance obviously looking at this from a, a child's perspective, but a, a child who doesn't have a front door to a family home and when they are at home, their living room is being shared by other families or they could be uh, asked to move out and go to the other end of the country at a, a moment's notice and as a result of all of these conditions, uh, they're uh, not with parents who can cook with them because they don't have cooking facilities or nutritious meals. Uh, you uh, quoted Beth Kinua in your press release uh, who has experience of the direct provision system uh, and what life is like there trying to bring children up in such uh, an environment uh, and to grow up in such an environment. I take it some of them were born into this environment, but she says, when I talk about security of the kids and direct provision, whenever you're given a room, you don't know who your neighbour is, you don't know who they are, you don't know where they've come from, their character or their behaviour. It's far from ideal, isn't it? It's kind of unacceptable. 
It is. I mean, you have that safety element, but as you mentioned, there, you know, just the normal family environment is completely strained. So often you have families living in cramped rooms. And I mean, a big thing is, you know, there's no cooking facilities. I mean, one of the most normal things a family can do is to cook a healthy meal, to sit around the table and eat it together. And they don't have the ability to do that. They don't have the ability to choose what they eat or even to choose where they might purchase food. So, you know, it is a very, very hard and tough situation for children and young people to be growing up in. And, you know, one of the areas that we are also quite concerned about is around the area of education, because research says that when children come here, they are dying to get into school. They see it as a way to really look at integrating into the local communities to make friends, to learn new things. And the fact that at the moment we're hearing reports, you know, that some children aren't registered in school because of that issue that you mentioned, that mentioned about people being moved quite quickly. Um, we're really concerned about that. You know, we've recently conducted commissioned some research around what international best practices in education for, the, for children coming in as refugees to different countries. And really what struck me from that was the role that not only the schools can play, but also that, you know, youth services can play. And we have some amazing youth services around the country who are really reaching out and supporting these families and, you know, providing a space away from those settings that, you know, we, we described. Mm. Um, but what we do need to see is we need to see them properly resourced to do the work because this is a way for children to really integrate into the local community and to really ensure that they have some safe space while they're living in these situations. So there are other things outside of accommodation that can be looked at as well in the current circumstances that we can be doing to try and make children's lives a little bit better. Okay. Well, they are our neighbours, albeit our new neighbours, and the Children's Rights Alliance will continue to keep this centre stage. We have to leave it there for the moment. Julie, thank you for joining us, though. Julia Hearn, Director of Legal Policy and Services with the Children's Rights Alliance. Michael Reed on LMFM. You remember Live Aid, don't you? Uh, well, if uh, you're of a certain age, uh, you'll never forget Live Aid because it prompted this amazing charitable response when the world came together to stop people from starving in the big famine in Ethiopia. That was it in 1985. Uh, the thing is that it's happening again and this time it has the potential to be much worse than it was in 1985 because for four years running there's been no rain in the Horn of Africa. That's in Ethiopia, Somalia and Kenya. Let's speak to Eamon Timmons, who's Media Relations Manager with Concern Worldwide. Good morning to you, Eamon, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Uh, you've better understanding of uh, this than most people because uh, it did happen in between, uh, and uh, I think uh, you were in Somalia in 1992 on three occasions when 300,000 people died. Yeah, it's, um, it is history repeating itself in some ways. Um Currently, what we're facing is the worst drought in 40 years. The worst drought in this part of Africa, the Horn of Africa, we're talking about Somalia, Kenya, Ethiopia. The worst drought since 1981. 36 million people are affected by it. 300,000 today currently are facing famine-like conditions in parts of south-central Somalia, which is the worst affected part. But many of the regions are equally affected in other ways. Um, And, you know, they're saying that there's no famine being declared yet, but they're saying this drought, this current drought, is far worse than the 2011 and 2017 droughts in terms of its intensity and its duration. And in in 2011, 260,000 people died in that drought. So we've got a very, very serious situation in our own regional director is warning that unless there's a major international response in the coming weeks, 
it'll become a crisis which will be beyond the capacity of humanitarian organizations to respond to or to contain. Um, and we're, we're seeing huge hardship. And some of the cases, talking to colleagues working in the field, or talking to a, a colleague the other day, and she was working in northern Kenya in Massabet, and they were visiting, they had an outreach clinic. And they're, they're visiting communities where people are sleeping during the day. They have one meal a day. They're very, very weak at this stage. There's a lot of the areas scattered with, with, with carcasses of dead animals. And the lady said as she left, she said, next time you come back, she said, you will see, it won't be the remains of animals you'll be seeing. It'll be the remains of humans. Mm-hmm. And, and these are the kind of stories we're hearing time and again. And it's, it's, it's very, very worrying that there isn't the international response that's needed for this because of so many other things happening in the world at the moment. Uh, is that the reason? Uh, because this has been flagged for many months now, if not years, because it's the fourth season without rain. Uh, and without rain, uh, there are no crops uh, and without crops there's nothing to feed the animals with and uh, as you say the animals are, are dying how are people surviving yeah just to put it in concept to give the, the kind of the, 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 the cycle of, what, of what's happening there's been no this is the current they get they get rains in this part of the world twice a year you get two rainy seasons the last five rainy seasons have failed certainly I was in northern Kenya in July and there were places we visited they hadn't had rain in two and a half years so without water, you have nothing. So the first thing that goes are the farms and the, and the animals. Um, and we're seeing a huge amount of animals at this stage. They're talking about, I think, nine and a half million animals are dead across the region. I was talking to a colleague the other day. He was saying that unprecedented numbers of camels dying, camels and donkeys. And they're dying because they're eating the last vegetation, these thorny vegetation in the desert. And those thorns are blocking their, their, their digestive systems and they're dying. Crops are long gone. Um, children are suffering. It's about 5.1 million um, uh, children uh, suffering acute malnutrition in the, in the area. 1.4 million of those are at risk of dying at the moment as a result of hunger. So they're severely, acutely malnourished. They're at risk of dying. That's what that means in, 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 in layman's terms. People are on the move. People have started to, they've been moving for the last year. Once your farm has gone, your animals are dying. People make that decision. We've got to move. To put it in context, Mike, People are moving 250 kilometers into Mogadishu and Bedoa. So that's a distance, we'll say, from Drogheda to Limerick. Mm. People on the move, on foot, carrying their children, carrying whatever possessions they have. Mm. They're arriving in hospitals which are overcrowded. They're arriving into camps. Um, Bedoa has swollen. Um, there's something like 400,000 people have moved into the, the, the city in the last year. There's only a, a resident population of about 300,000. There were 100 boreholes, water sources in that area. They're down to four or five now. So everything is under extreme pressure. The clinics, um, I was talking to a colleague the other day, they do these outreach clinics to reach out into the areas to stop people moving because people often die on the road. Mm. And there's something like a 1,000 people turning up at the clinic. Um, so we've got yeah. every every problem has a domino effect as well, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, once uh, you stop uh, the rains, once the rains stop and you're without water, uh, then you're looking at uh, infection and disease uh, and so on. Uh, are people uh, staying alive, or is the only way they're staying alive uh, through charity and uh, because of organisations like Concern? Yes, and the Somali government are doing the best they can as well. I mean, everybody is pulling together. Um, the people are moving into areas which is. In, in one way, that's the only way to survive. In other ways, they're putting more pressure on scarce resources. And certainly the camps, like you mentioned, the, 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 the lack of water, um, clean water is, it, it, lack of clean water is killing people. There's a lot of waterborne diseases, cholera and diarrhea is killing people now. And there's also because of the overcrowded conditions, people's very weak immune systems. Certainly um, we're seeing TB, TB and measles. 
um, uh, there's a lot of that as well. We're talking to mothers arriving who've buried children on the way. They've lost a number of their children traveling. So it's, um, and there isn't, I mean, I was talking to our, our, our country director in, in Somalia yesterday, and he was saying that people are moving in and 50% of the camps which are setting up now, people are setting up with, with kind of twigs and rags to set up these, these temporary shelters. There's, 50% of those camps, there's nothing for them. There's no resources. They don't have the money or the resources to support those camps. So, you know, we're, we're in a very, very serious situation. And basically yeah. the message is if we had more money, we could, we could help more people. Um, okay. The international organizations don't have that money. The um, international appeal for Somalia is only just over 50% funded by the international community. Um, and the warning is that, you know, the, the January to March season is the driest time of the year. Um, the, early, the, the next rains are coming between March and May. The time the is down. Fork, the time the is down. Yeah. yeah, the early forecast mm. is that those yeah. rains will also be below standard, okay. which means you won't have any rains until next October. Okay, it's so a, an urgent appeal, obviously, from concern for donations. Eamon, I have to leave it there, though. Thank you indeed. I'm sure people will respond because they'll want to help. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Eamon Timmons, Media Relations Manager with Concern Worldwide. That's it for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.